Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Four Sigmatic was founded with the goal of cutting through all the hype and helping people eat more of the world's most scientifically studied superfoods like mushrooms. I absolutely love this stuff. They sent me over a box of uh, a lot of their mushroom products, and I was a little skeptical at first, but after using them, I've really come to like them. They taste awesome. They're super convenient. They come in 10 little packets packets in each pack and mushrooms have an adaptogenic property it's really cool helps restore your hormones balance your energy naturally and feel awesome all right so head on over to foursigmatic.com that's f-o-u-r-s-i-g-m-a-t-i-c use the code word paleohacks at checkout and you save 15 percent off all purchases Paleo Hackers, happy Thursday. Welcome back to the Paleo Hacks Podcast. I am your host, Clark. And today on the show, kind of a special edition, limited edition show, we're talking about high-intensity interval training done slowly. Uh, that's right. You take 15 minutes and do five exercises, and then you're done. And Dr. Doug is going to come on and tell us why that can help you either lose fat or uh, build muscle and you only have to do it once or twice a week. So, fascinating show. Never heard it before. A um, little bit of announcements before we get going. If you want to support us, the best way to support this show, and a lot of you have done it, so thank you in advance, head on over to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. Uh, it takes three seconds, really helps us out. PaleoHacks.com is the place to be. We have all our previous shows listed over there on the archives. Also blogs, recipes, articles, really cool stuff over there. If you want to get a hold of me, go ahead and find me at ClarkDanger.com or you can email me Clark at ClarkDanger.com. I love hearing your feedback on the podcast. That's pretty much it. You ready for the show? I'm ready for you to hear it. Let's go hear what Dr. Doug has to say. Paleo Hackers, welcome back. Happy Thursday. My guest on the other end is Dr. Doug McGruff. Uh, Doug is an emergency room physician, author of the popular book Body by Science. He owns and operates Ultimate Exercise, and he's here today to talk about his crazy, intense, slow workouts. Dr. Doug, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks. Hey, that's uh, not the crime dog. I'm like the crime dog minus the R. That's McGuff. Oh, you're McGruff, correct? Nope, Mick Guff. Mick Guff, okay. There you go. There we go. We're, we're on it now. Yeah. Uh, so I was Googling my guest before the show, and uh, the first thing that popped up for you, boom, was Dr. Doug's workout. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, what is this? And it has over 100,000 views, and I'm watching it, and I thought the thing was in slow motion, but everyone around you was moving at normal speed, and I just realized you were moving really slow and shaking, and your biceps were pulsing, and I mean, it was really captivating, um, <laughs> and I've never seen anyone work out like that before. <laughs> yeah, that must have been from the Renex convention. Was it the one where I ended up laying on the floor? I'm not, I think it was just in your gym, because I was looking out, uh, at other videos as well, and you had a few more in there. Okay. So, the, the slow workout... Um, based on what I was researching, is kind of your uh, your approach to high intensity interval training, correct? It's more of a slower approach than the traditional. Okay, run out, do sprints as fast as you can, ten out of ten, running from a lion, or do burpees until you're blue in the face and puke everywhere. You take a a, a bit more of a different approach. 
Yeah, it's a different path to the same destination. And um, what you saw on the internet, the slowness was just part of the protocol. The thing to remember is that when you're doing intense exercise, basically what you are doing is you're providing a load onto working musculature that results in a rapid and deep level of fatigue. And we found that one of the best ways to do that, and by we, I don't mean me. This is not originated by me. It's not my deal. Um, there are a lot of people that were devoted to this a long time before I came along that developed it. But the proverbial we, our, our approach with this is um, that the, the protocol itself, the use of resistance, is applied to the body in such a way where the movement by necessity is slow. Um, what happens is we use um, equipment in a manner of loading where the, the upload of moving the weight is very gradual and slow. And that deprives you of being able to use any momentum to lift the weight. And that necessarily results organically in very slow movement because you literally, once you start slowly with a meaningful resistance appropriately loaded on the muscle, you can't go fast. Um, and as a consequence, you've deprived yourself of momentum. So the, the weight, the resistance is continuously on the muscle. There's no escaping it. And therefore, the rate and depth of fatigue is very, very rapid. Okay. That rep, rapid development of fatigue also um, enacts all of the metabolic subsystems that produce that big metabolic kick that you get from other forms of high-intensity exercise, whether that's high-intensity interval training, CrossFit, um, anything else that involves a high output of work. The difference is that the work we use to get there is done with weight training, with resistance, but done with a protocol that is very slow to continuously load the muscle, but also to make the movement safer. Um, with these other high-intensity protocols, what's happening is you're using fairly rapid and ballistic movement that you continue as you fatigue. And as a result, that makes you at very high risk for injury. Whereas with our protocol, as you fatigue, you're actually becoming too weak to continue to move the weight. So actually, as you fatigue and the set continues and the exercise session continues, it's getting safer and safer rather than more and more dangerous, if mm. that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm curious, how did you stumble upon all this being a... Because you're a current uh, emergency room physician, correct? That's correct. And so how did you come on to this whole slow training, uh, high-intensity interval? Okay, well, the thing is, my interest in this, to a very large extent, predated um, my being a physician or involved in medicine in any way. I actually got started in high-intensity strength training when I was about age 14, um, at the time, I was uh, a bicycle motocross racer, which is a type of sprint racing. It's a power sport. And I um, had taken up weight training on my own as a means of training for the sport. I was out, actually out doing sprints one day when I ran into a middle-aged guy. I was in really great shape. I ended up talking to him. He had just opened a Nautilus gym 
And this is back in the mid to late seventies. Um, and that was kind of, you know, the origins of this high intensity type training. And even back then, even though it was not a super slow protocol, like what we use now, it was, you know, weight training based, the movements were slow and controlled. The emphasis was on deep fatigue, training to failure in a big metabolic wallet. And, um, I bartered janitorial services for a membership to this guy's gym. And there I found writings of Arthur Jones, the guy that originated Nautilus. Um, the slow movement portion of it actually began around 1983 when an employee of Nautilus, Ken Hutchins, started researching the training protocol for an osteoporosis research study. And the intent was originally to just be very, very cautious with these frail elderly women but the unintended side effect of it was they actually saw a greater rate of progress than what they were used to seeing in standard trainees. And they thought, well, maybe it's just because these women are so frail and making up lost ground. But when they applied the protocol to younger athletic populations, they saw also a faster rate of improvement. And that's kind of what um, served as the germ for what has developed into the kind of protocol that we do now. Okay. Um, being an exercise physician, um, I'm sure you're looking through a lot, a lot of science and it's, it's the, uh, peer reviewed research science, and then also owning your own strength and conditioning gym. I'm sure you've seen the internet go with kind of more of the bro science and kind of, you know, eat big to get big and all these, these myths who, I, I don't know if they work or not. But I'm curious, from your perspective, what are kind of some of the biggest myths you see out there floating around, maybe when it comes to muscle building or uh, exercise or any uh, any in that realm? Yeah, here's the deal. I mean, all the way back into the 1970s, the bro science always wins because what we do is we we have an idea in our head, uh, particularly when we're younger bros, of how we want to look and who we want to emulate. And those are the people that we seek out for advice. And many times those are the people that have succeeded um, in spite of what they're doing rather than because of what they're doing. So there's a natural selection bias um, for exercise protocols that have worked for the people that look the way we want to look that by definition will not work for the greater mass of the population, more represented under the big part of the bell curve. Um, so in my day, you know, when you looked at Muscle Builder magazine, it was all the routines of, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Frank Zane, and, you know, it was double split routines, two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, six days a week. If you took that sort of protocol and applied it to your average young man of average genetic capabilities, uh, without the benefit of uh, anabolic steroids to enhance recovery, that was a massive fail. I mean, you just wound up completely overtrained. Um, over time, you became weaker and actually lost muscle. And at the time, we thought the exercise is what produced the change, not realizing that the body's adaptive mechanisms is what produced the change. So instead of realizing that we needed to um, back off, do less volume, have more recovery, 
we actually doubled down on the process and made it even worse. Hmm. So probably the biggest myth that persists is that um, the people to seek advice from are the ones you want to look like and that their advice is good and applicable across a broad range of a population. Hmm. Um, so that they just might be end up doing exactly the opposite of what they should be doing to get the results that they're after. Okay. So they, those people might just be far on the, the bell curve then might have Correct. either genetic thing or the anomalies. Absolutely. That's true in any endeavor. Um, you know, you can read all the books you want by Warren Buffett about investing um, and probably be no better off in the investing world than if you'd never read him. Um, you can read all the training that you, all the training advice you ever want to uh, get from, you know, Lance Armstrong or a world-class endurance athlete. And that information applied to the average individual that's more in the middle of the bell curve would have no relevance and actually produce negative results. And the problem is not that there's not enough information out there. If, if information was, Derek Sivers, a guy that I follow, um, actually coined this phrase. This is like, if information was the solution, or then we would all be billionaires with six pack abs. Um, but we're not. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's just a big problem. Is and we, and we talk about this in the book about body by science. Is you know we we apply the wrong heuristic when we're trying to solve our problems. Yeah, I, I love that quote by Derek Sivers. I listened to that same uh, show. I think that was a Tim Ferriss one, right? Yeah, 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 that was a great one. Yeah, billionaires with six pack abs walking around, just ripped out <laughs> of our minds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's an action component, certainly, but uh, let's talk about kind of what to do, what to take action on, um, and your approach to to muscle building. How do you go about, uh, let's just take your average 20-something, 30-something guy, he's looking to get in the gym, he's looking to build muscle, what would you tell that person? Well, the first thing you got to get them to understand is that the exercise that they're going to, the exercise regimen they're going to use is only the stimulus. Um, exercise by itself cannot directly produce anything other than injury. Exercise can directly produce injury, but it cannot directly produce results. Hmm. You have to realize that your exercise is a negative, threatful stimulus um, that you bring to the body. Hmm. And the body, having received that threatful stimulus, if given enough time and resources, will make the adaptive response that you seek. So the stimulus that is actually driving the sought-after adaptive response is loading and fatiguing the muscle, making it, in a very short span of time, significantly weaker. That rapid weakening of muscle in a short span of time is a threatful stimulus. The body, having received that stimulus, then makes the adaptive response, which is to become stronger. So if it ever encounters a fatiguing stimulus of that magnitude again, it's going to have something left over. And then that process is done in a repeated basis. So the first is to understand that exercise is a stimulus. The second thing that I would tell this person is we all want to be superhuman. You know, 
the four-hour body sitting on the shelf right behind you there. Um, you have Driven. You have Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. You have Switch. You have Tony Robbins. But the thing that I have to really hammer home to people is to realize that if you want to be superhuman, you have to realize that you are only human. And what that means is for the young person embarking upon this strength and conditioning program is that the intensity, yes, needs to be high, but the volume of work that you do needs to be much lower than you imagine. And the frequency of the workout needs to be much less frequent than you have in your head because you have to allow the body enough time to make its compensatory response. If you want to put just one pound of muscle on your body, you need to really think about that. Next time you go to the grocery store, pick up a, ground, a pound of ground round meat and look at it and say, this is what I'm asking my body to synthesize de novo based on this stimulus. You have to realize that that takes some time, some uninterrupted rest period to allow your body the capability to synthesize this. If we think of the workout as digging a hole in the ground and the adaptive response is filling the hole back up plus a little bit more on top, you got to realize that if you go back and start digging again before you have filled up, you just dig a deeper and deeper hole. So hit it hard, hit it intensely, but keep it brief and keep it infrequent enough so that you can show improvement on a workout-by-workout basis. Great answer. And do you prescribe any, like, X amount of days per week or uh, X amount of days off kind of thing, like a two days on, four days off training regimen, or does it vary per person? Yeah, I don't get prescriptive because you do have to realize that when you're talking to a broad audience, you are speaking to a bell curve. And in that bell curve, you're going to have people out, out on the fat tails. And the people out on the fat tail of the bell curve are the ones that are really going to get fantastic results and be paid attention to, and that's going to undermine your message. So I will offer a general time frame that I think will work for most people that are within two standard deviations of the mean. And what I would tell most people is that at a meaningful level of resistance, um, two times a week is going to be good out to one time a week as a starting point. Hey guys, Clark here. 40%. That is the amount of DNA we share with fungi. In fact, lots of pharmaceutical drugs are made from mushrooms, such as penicillin. That's why Four Sigmatics has put together a mushroom blend, superfood drinks, so you can harness and tap into the power of mushrooms and fungi. I've been drinking their hot cocoa at night uh, with reishi mushroom, I believe it has. Really does uh, melt away the stress and the adaptogens can help go to the weakest part of your body and boost you up naturally. So head over to Four Sigmatic, that's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com. Use, the pay, use Paleo Hacks at checkout and save 15%. All right, back to the show. So when someone hears, you know, one time or two times a week, I mean, when I hear that, I'm I'm kind of shocked because that's a lot less than the typical four, five, even six times a week uh, yeah. prescription. And someone who's trying to maybe build muscle or lose weight, 
they say, you know, I'm already doing four or five, six times a week. Why would I do less? I'm still not getting the results on my four or five time a week program. Why would I go to one or two a week? That seems counterintuitive. Um, because like what we just talked about, you are not allowing enough time for the body to make its response. You have to remember the results you want are not produced by the exercise. It's not like you're pumping up a bicycle tire. The results you want are synthesized by your body when you're resting and not working out. And the natural tendency is when you're not seeing the results forthcoming is to double down and do more. You have to do exactly the opposite. you got to bring the intensity to a meaningful level so the workout is short. And by short, I mean 15 to 30 minutes tops. If you can go longer than that, you're not working hard enough. Wow. And then once you've done that, you got to allow enough rest days to fully super compensate so that the next time you come to work out, if you're using the same resistance as the previous workout, it's going to feel easy to you. Um, or you can progress the resistance and do just as well. If you're not seeing that on a workout-by-workout basis, then you need to space your recovery out a little bit longer. Okay. And most people are just operating under the assumption of not really understanding this stimulus organism response equation. Exercise is the stimulus, acts upon your body, the organism. The organism produces the adaptive response during the rest period. If you bring the exercise back to the organism before it's completed its response, you will interfere with the response. And that's what most people are doing when they're training five or six times a week. What about the guy who's kind of doing the five or six times a week, um, 45 minutes to an hour long workout, but he's not really, really pushing it? Would you say that person's just maintaining kind of an even level or is that still detrimental as well? Potentially, but anyone that's working out, anyone that's partaking of a workout that lasts that long is probably logging a lot of, you know, for lack of a better term, just F around time in the gym. Right. Okay. So if I, when I train clients at Ultimate Exercise, we record their performance with a stopwatch, not by counting repetitions. So we know how long in seconds it took them under that given resistance to reach complete muscular fatigue. And we get a time under load. And we move them quickly from one exercise to the next. So the workout takes maybe 12, 15 minutes. And it's all they can stand. Now, if I go down to you know, the the college gym or a local commercial gym, and I watch your average bro in the gym working out, he'll walk up to the dumbbell rack, pick something up, do his set, and if I record just his time under load while working out over his 45-minute to an hour-and-a-half workout, he picks up the weights, he does a set, I press the start button, and then I press the stop button. The set Average is going to last 15 or 20 seconds. And then he's going to walk around. He's going to flip through his iPhone. He's going to check his email. He's going to go get a drink of water. He's going to stare at some girl's ass. And then he's going to come back to the dumbbell rack and pick it up again. Then I'll start the stopwatch again. And if I record the total cumulative time under actual load of his 45-minute workout, 
and add it all up, it may be actually significantly less than the time under load of one of my clients that gets in and out in 15 minutes. Yeah. So there's a lot of screw around time in that devoted 45 minutes to an hour that is really non-productive and if anything counterproductive in terms of just wasting his valuable time, not invoking a level of intensity enough to cross a, strength, a stimulus threshold to make your body adapt, but then also an accumulating a volume of work um, in terms of just total workload that kind of rags you out and makes it hard to recover, even though you've never really crossed an intensity threshold to demand a change. I see. Um, so then the question people are probably thinking at home is, okay, well, what do these workouts consist of? What is Doug timing them on? Like, so what are some exercises you're running a typical client through when they come in and train at your gym? Yeah. So, you know, this can be done with any kind of weight training equipment, but we, we actually use machines, which, you know, in the paleo world is kind of a, <laughs> a big no-no, but we actually use machines that are specially modified for our protocol, but they're very simple and straightforward. You can find them in any gym. Let's say we're going to pick five movements, the ones we recommend in the book. And these aren't magical movements, just five movements that will cover the whole body. So you can do a leg press, uh, a horizontal pulling motion, like some sort of row, a horizontal pushing motion, some form of chest press, a vertical pulling motion, either a chin up or some sort of pull down, and an overhead pressing movement, a vertical pressing movement. That will cover all the major musculature of your body, but you do it in a very specific way. Each set, when you upload the effort against the weight, it's done very, very gradually so that the weight barely starts moving. The first inch of the movement ought to take about three seconds. Huh. And then once you've done that, you just try to keep the weight moving because once you've deprived yourself of the initial momentum, like the way most people start a set, very hard to go fast. So what you then focus on is just contracting the musculature involved in that movement as hard as you can so that you can keep the weight moving. Once you get to the end of the positive excursion, you just smoothly turn around and lower it very, very slowly as slowly as you can without it deteriorating into a series of stops and starts. You get to the bottom, and then you change directions again very gradually, and you do that continuously until you get this panicky feeling like, you know, you're going to get crushed by it. And it goes against your instincts, but you just try to keep the same form and high level of effort until all of a sudden you're too weak to keep the weight moving anymore. Hmm. You still attempt to move it even though movement is stopped. And by that time, you've driven a very, very deep level of fatigue in the targeted musculature. You finish that movement, then probably in less than 30 seconds, you're going to initiate the next. And that's where you get that high-intensity interval effect of the stacking of these metabolic waste products as you move from one exercise to the next. But you, you just blast through your whole workout just like that. And I promise you, done that way, um, you'll be on your second movement wondering, how am I going to make it to the end? Huh. Yeah. And by the time you're done, you will definitely not want any more. Yeah. So, uh, so you said earlier you'd go on time, not reps. Yeah. Now, that's just peculiar to my own facility. Um, training yourself is much, much easier to go on reps. And as long as you are falling within 
a meaningful time frame. So if we're talking a set duration, it can be anywhere from 45 seconds to two minutes set duration. Um, that's going to produce the level of fatigue to be a stimulus. And that could be, depending on the cadence that you end up using with a particular piece of equipment, it could be anywhere from four seconds up, four seconds down, to 10 seconds up, 10 seconds down. That could be anywhere from four to 10 repetitions, depending on the movement that you're using. But the absolute number of reps or the time under load is not really important. What is really important is the intent that you bring to the exercise. And that intent is to do this in the hardest way possible so that the muscle is continuously loaded and you produce a rapid and deep level of fatigue. Basically, you just want to make it as hard as it can possibly be. Okay. And then let the rest just hash itself out. And really, the recording of it and all the accounting and the anal retentiveness doesn't matter. Your body knows what to do with that. You put that into the black box, the output, if you give it enough rest time, will be what you want. Hmm. And so what are some uh, results a client has gotten for using this method at your gym? Well, it depends upon the client. I mean, we've had, it's odd, the clients that have the genetic propensity to actually have visually impactful muscle growth seem always to me to be the ones that didn't want that in the first place. It will bitch about, oh, I had to buy a new wardrobe sort of thing. The clients that come there desperately wanting to make, to gain muscle are the ones that tend to not have the genetic predisposition to do so. And they will get somewhat more muscular and their appearance will change. What I think is much more for the better, but they tend to be dissatisfied with their muscle gains. The thing is, is I or anyone else really does not have much control over what your response is going to be in terms of aesthetics. Um, What we tell people is we're like the army is uh, we'll make you all you can be, but that's all. (laughs) Um, So, but on a bigger scale, the things that I'm more proud of are the people that come in that are grossly obese that for the first time ever have been able to actually lose body fat and not in the way that they thought they would have to, you know, running or jogging for miles on end or, you know, doing some biggest loser kind of routine. Yeah. If you wake up the musculature by strengthening it, two things happen. One is you have become very adept at emptying the largest glucose reservoir in your body. Once you do that, you restore insulin sensitivity. Your serum insulin levels fall to a level where fat loss is now permissive, and then it becomes much, much easier for them. And then these are the type of people that are on oral hypoglycemics for type 2 diabetics that through proper training and paying attention to a paleo-type diet, all of a sudden are cured, and they've lost 70 or 80 pounds of body fat. Those are the big successes. Um, in terms of wanting to get buff, um, you know, that's pretty much dictated by a person's genetics, but even so, even though a lot of people may not get as big as what they want to be or what they've envisioned them for themselves through the magazine, I can say that almost anyone can obtain a degree of muscularity that would be impressive to almost anyone. It may not be what they want. 
but it is certainly going to be something meaningful. Okay. And without getting into the diet um, real quick, what's kind of like a sample workout that someone can uh, do and try this method at their local gym uh, if they were curious? Would you recommend that? Yeah, I mean, they can just, uh, if they just go on the uh, bodybyscience.net website, there's a whole string of YouTube videos up there. You can kind of watch a workout. But I would just pick five big basic compound movements to give it a try. And that would be just like we talked about, a leg press, some sort of rowing machine, a chest press machine, um, a chin-up or pull-down movement, and then some sort of overhead pressing movement. Just do those five things in the manner that we described. Just slow, controlled, continuous load, deep fatigue, complete muscle failure, move from one to the other quickly, get in, get out, and give yourself several days of recovery, come back and try it again. Repeat that a few times and see how you feel. I think you'll really be impressed. Okay. And where do sprints come into this at all? Um, have you experimented with adding in a sprint routine maybe once a week or something? Yeah, I have. And I have found it to be useful, um, particularly for people that either because of their genetic makeup require a longer recovery interval between workouts or as a person becomes more advanced in this kind of training, out of necessity, you have to re- increase the recovery interval because the stronger you become, the more metabolic punishment you can bring to yourself. So in order to continue the muscular progress along, you may have to bump your workout to every seventh day, even some extreme subjects out to every ninth or tenth day. The problem with that is skeletal muscle tissue takes a long time to build and it also takes a long time to deconstruct. However, the metabolic adaptations that come along with this sort of exercise, they ramp up more quickly, but they also ramp down more quickly. So for someone that requires a longer recovery interval, some sort of either sprints or high-intensity interval training inserted between the two workouts help to preserve the metabolic adaptations while you're still going through the period of muscular recovery. So I find it particularly um, helpful in that realm. Okay. Um, another question regarding training. What about plateaus? People seem to throw that one around like, I just I got great results and then I don't know what happened. I hit a plateau. What are your thoughts on, on training plateaus? Yeah, a lot of times, first thing is, and, and this is difficult with a lot of uh, commercially available equipment, and it's a lot of why I have the equipment I have to try to work around this limitation. The first thing is you got to figure out is the plateau a real plateau that's related to your physiology and your recovery? Or is this a plateau related to the equipment you're using with the protocol? So let me explain that in terms of a chest press machine in my facility. So in my facility, I'm using a Medex equipment that has a 500-pound weight stack. So I have 480 pounds of 20-pound plates all stacked up. And then directly on top of it, I have 18 pounds of plates that go in two-pound intervals. And that weight stack moves a distance of one foot. 
So when you're selecting resistance for someone, you're actually selecting their workload, work being force times distance. So I can progress someone's weight. I can increase their weight by as little as two foot-pounds. Now you go on your average piece of commercial equipment, you're going to have a weight stack that changes in 10-pound increments. But it's going to move a stroke length of two or three feet. So the smallest incremental weight change I can make is two foot-pounds. But at a commercial gym with your average piece of equipment, the smallest incremental weight change you can make would be 20 or 30 foot-pounds. Hmm. Yeah. So someone, it may be time for them to progress their weight, but when they put the pin in the next plate, they've jumped their resistance by 20 foot-pounds. And all of a sudden, they're stuck, and they seem to have reached a plateau. Whereas in my gym, I can go up by two-pound increments and still show continued progress because I can progress someone gradually. So sometimes that plateau is a false plateau, and you just got to ignore it and just go in and keep hitting it. And the way to tell the difference between the two is not just what you're doing on paper, but how you feel after the workout and between workouts. So if you hit this plateau, and after a workout day for two to three days afterwards, you feel like hammered dog crap, then that's a real plateau. And you need to make some adjustments um, versus you're just not showing progress on paper, but you still feel great and you still feel strong. And that's probably a false plateau based on the limitations of your equipment. But if you hit a real plateau, what you need to do is to kind of slice and dice your workout. So instead of having five big movements, do some sort of split routine where you do three big compound movements and two smaller peripheral movements in a workout. Um, that way you're allowing um, a little bit less of a metabolic wallop and metabolic workload in a given workout um, so that you're still able to recover on a workout-by-workout -workout basis. So when you first start and you do these five big movements, you're not that strong, mm -hmm. and the amount of mechanical and metabolic work you're bringing to your body is significantly less than six months later when you may have doubled your strength and now the mechanical and metabolic workload that you're bringing to your body is exponentially higher and you're just exceeding your recovery ability. Okay, yeah. Um, how does nutrition play a, a role in all this? You mentioned kind of eating paleo earlier. Yeah. Uh, what's your general nutritional approach look like? Well, my approach to my clients, my favorite thing to say to them is, look, the fact that you're here and you're getting stronger is great, but you cannot exercise your way out of a bad diet. And I can honestly say that the big turning point for visible aesthetic results in my clients at my facility correlated with when Mark Sisson's book came out. The Primal Blueprint? Yes, Primal Blueprint. When I was able to hand out Primal Blueprint um, or Paleo Solution or um, The One Diet or any, any number of these books mm -hmm. that were user-friendly to my clients, it made all the difference in the world in terms of their actual visual results. And also, it's really important in terms of paying attention to the recovery side of the equation. 
in the exercise field, I find that it's very easy for everyone to geek out on the stimulus side of the equation and figure out, you know, the next wad or the next technique that's going to really just hammer the crap out of people and not pay enough attention on the recovery side of the equation. Are you observing good sleep hygiene? Are you incorporating a meditative habit that helps you control stress and be mindful? Are you invoking a real whole food diet that delivers not just the nutrients, but the nutrients and all the other stuff that serve as cofactors that we don't even know yet exist because they're hidden in the context of the whole food. If you're doing all those things on the recovery side of the equation, then what goes on on the stimulus side of the equation becomes much less important and doesn't have to be nearly as perfect as you think it does. I see. Uh, Dr. Dodd, can you move the camera a little bit? Sorry to interrupt. Um, Just be in the center because we had this one guy. Uh, Ben Lynch was on and he was off in the corner the whole time and the way yeah. it crops it, it crops in the middle. So his face was okay. off. Am I centered? Yeah, you're, you're, you're great now. You're great now. Yeah. Cause what I got showing me to me is like a size of a postage stamp. So yeah. I apologize. No, you're fine. You're fine. Um, okay, great. Um, so with nutrition, then, you know, you're eating more whole foods, kind of paleo friendly. Um, is there anything you recommend that maybe, wouldn't be considered paleo or maybe a little different or something you've seen really work that um, might be a little different. We're all, we're all up for. Opinions uh, here. You know, the one thing that I would say is, you know, I'm not a big supplement guy, but one thing that liter- literature has borne out is that um, the intake of branch chain amino acids, whether that comes from whole food or a supplement, in the hours after an acute workout bout does seem to enhance protein synthesis. Um, it is fair. It spares the glucogenic gluconeogenic amino acids that are released during the exercise bout. There is some protein sparing done by that. And just from an anecdotal basis, it seems to enhance my sense of recovery after particularly hard workouts. So that's one thing that I do that is, you know, not paleo in the primitive paleo sense. Right. Beyond that, there's not much else. And I try to be very open-ended with clients with regard to the paleo diet. I'm not very prescriptive in its application. Um, I, I think the biggest, most important thing with regard to diet in an individual client is that it has to ultimately be their own approach that they own. So I try to give them the grossest heuristic possible for thinking about diet. And I tell them to think of diet as a straight line between themselves and the sun. And what I mean by that is you can go out in the sun and directly expose yourself to the sun. You're going to get vitamin D3. You're probably going to get a lot of other photonutrients that we don't even yet know exist by just being out in the sun. The sun is the source of all nutrition. So it can act on phytoplankton. It can act on green plants who photosynthesize. You can eat those things and your body knows what to do with them. There are animals that eat those plants and phytoplankton. And you can eat those animals that ate those plants that photosynthesize. And then you can eat the animals that ate the animals that ate the animals and on up the food chain 
And as long as you stay in a straight line on that food chain, your body's going to know what to do with that and get the most nutrient density um, and proper dietary signaling out of that kind of material. Hmm. When you go off of that straight line mm-hmm. into things that are processed and manufactured and changed in a way that are signal disruptive to the body's mechanisms, that's when things fall apart and body composition starts to fail. Okay. Okay. So the straight line from you to the sun kind of getting in as close to that source as possible with vegetables and then the things yeah. that ate the vegetables are animals. And, and so that on. way you're not going down this false construct of worrying about what your macronutrient ratios are. Right. You know, things that are really just sort of um, an artificial construct. Okay. Yeah. Of man, so to speak. I mean, you can be a paleo diet and in, in a given day or a given week, it can be almost completely carbohydrate. And in another week or another season, it could be much, much more heavily weighted towards fat and very little carbohydrate, but it's still all natural whole food and paleo. And that's probably the way it works, you know, in our real evolutionary past. Yeah. Well, Dr. Doug, we're coming up. Um, I want to ask you a few more questions. Uh, One we ask, we've been ending all the shows with is kind of what's your biggest lesson you've learned either the past year or the last five years in regards to, to health and fitness? Um, I think the thing that I kind of started out with at the beginning is the one message I really want to get across to people because there's so much emphasis on hacking and becoming superhuman is that you really have to realize that to become superhuman, you have to realize you're only human. And what that means is to rest before you get tired. That would be it. Hmm. All right. Body by Science is the book. Uh, best place to get that is is your website or, or Amazon? or Yeah, Amazon is probably the easiest way to access it. It's available in the major bookstores as well, but... Um, you know, it doesn't get front table display, so you got to dig for it in the bookstores. But Amazon's a great place to find it. What else are you working on right now? Anything up and coming? Well, um, I've co-authored a book with uh, Robert Murphy, an economist, that is published by Mark Sisson's Primal Blueprint Publishing called The Primal Prescription. Uh-huh. And it is both an economic and healthcare treatise. It is an economic treatise showing how the healthcare market in this country got so distorted and disrupted by government intervention. Hmm. And then the other half of the book is how you can extract the most value out of the system and how to survive the system if, through no no fault of your own, you have to be sucked into it. Um, So for people that are trying to navigate the complexities of our current healthcare system, that's my newest... uh, newest foray into writing what's it what's it called again one more time the final prescription and you can find that on mark sisson's website but also on amazon and in all major bookstores okay prescription me and uh bob murphy a really excellent economist got it well doug thanks for coming on the show Uh, thanks for having me i'm gonna try one of those slow workouts and and let you know hopefully i'll have time to recover in between Uh, (laughs) all right man it's the most important part Probably won't be the kind that uh, I saw you do on that one video. That was that was another thing. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, it's it's all about the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. So just give it your best. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for coming on. You bet. Thank you, Clark. 
less is more. Apparently that applies with uh, training frequency. That really blew my mind that you can get results by one or two times a week um, if your diet and recovery is perfect. I mean, I, I think we all kind of know that deep down inside. I know that deep down inside, but it's harder to apply than um, to talk about. So the application, of course, was a really great emphasis today on the call. Paleohacks.com is the place to be. Blogs, articles, recipes. Um, iTunes reviews really helps out, guys. And then Clark at ClarkDanger.com if you want to get a hold of me. Thanks so much for tuning in. Really appreciate you guys listening to this show. It's been fun over the past, I don't know, three years or so. We've had a good time. A lot of, a lot of good guests. Um, that reminds me of the best of episode. If you haven't heard that, that was kind of our New Year's special. Just check it out. It's... Uh, probably a month or two ago we did that and um, that was a fun one to put together so definitely check that one out all right that's it until next time have a great week we'll see you next thursday